Exodus 20. We're going to finish up some thoughts today about the creative act of God, just answering some periphery questions about it as we continue on our study of systematic theology where we've been looking at the acts of God prior to looking at his attributes. So we know what we know um, we're looking at what God has done, and then we'll look at what God declares himself to be. Um, and we learn a lot by God by what he has done, mostly his lordship attributes. All right, Exodus 20 and verse... Eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt, do not, do, thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy man servant nor thy maid servant nor thy cattle nor the, thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why? For or because in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that, then in, that all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And it says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested the seventh day from all his works, which he had made. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his works, which God created or made. Now, we're not talking about the Sabbath, but, uh, but we'll see specifically why... We're reading these texts. Uh, just a reminder of what we looked at so far. We've just talked about creation. Creation is, a, we define creation as an act that is done by God alone. It's not something he did through an intermediary uh, like Gnosticism wanted to teach uh, based upon, upon Platonic thought that all, um, that it would soil God to, to, to uh, somehow create or something to that effect. Um, so uh, e even the Arians who uh, denied the deity of Christ uh, believed that Gnostic idea that Christ was the creator because he was, cre he was created by God to create the worlds because God, in their, in their uh, Platonic thought, could not be directly involved in creation. That's contrary to what the scriptures teach. It's a direct act. So creation is an act of God alone by which, for his glory, he brings into existence everything in the universe, things that had no existence prior to his creative word. And we talked about creation and worship, uh, how, how, um, how the create, creation accounts uh, are calls to worship, their creation and lordship, how it declares his lordship overall. And then last week we talked about uh, creation and redemption, how creation itself 
created a paradigm by which we understand the grace of God. And then we talked a little bit more about creation out of nothing and what do we mean um, by that. And we tried to correct a couple, a couple views uh, that were problematic. Uh, the world had a beginning. Uh, when we mean creation out of nothing, is everything that everything that's in the world, visible and invisible. So it's not like um, it's not like uh, in the beginning was uh, quantum fluctuations of subatomic particles, <laughs> and then out of the, that those already existed, and out of those things God created. Uh, no, those subatomic particles had a beginning too. Uh, the b- invisible things, so everything had a beginning. Or, or as, uh, as uh, Stephen Hawking's, in the beginning was gravity. No, gravity had a beginning. <laughs> Those invisible things also had a beginning. So when we say creation out of nothing, there is nothing visible or invisible that did not begin with God by His creative act. Um, then we also talked about... Uh, that it's universal. Everything in heaven and earth had a beginning and was therefore created. And the creator of those things is God. And God directly created all things as Lord to show his lordship, his separation. So they're not things brought out of himself, part of himself. They're not some kind of pantheistic uh, structure where this is just emanations of God that you and I are seeing. No, God is Lord over everything that he created. And uh, when we mean when we talk about creation out of nothing, we are establishing those ideas, and those are very scriptural. Uh, uh, those are the scriptural ways that look at creation. What we want to do today is we're just going to talk about a couple periphery of you things. Six days of creation... All right. Were there, was the earth created in six literal days? So we're talking about the historical account of these things. And um, we want want to take into account what the, uh, what the very, I want to get into a little bit about what some really good brothers and sisters in Christ have believed about this. Uh, and there are some that are borderline heretical, if not heretical, (laughs) but most of them, even if they have different views than us, um, are, are, if they are trying to understand the text for what it says and not trying to compromise on, on just, uh, in order to fit in with the world or whatever it is, then, then, um, then we can accept we can accept them and even not count them enemies, uh, and I want to bring that across today. And I think that's one of the things frame. Where of course we're building off frames uh, systematic theology here as our skeleton outline. But um, the scriptures, what we just read, uh, both in the Ten Commandments, which was a reiteration of uh, that, says for in six days God created all things. And on the seventh, he rested. And that became the, the impetus by which we understand Sabbath laws and things of that and how we were supposed to imitate in the Sabbath <coughs> the very acts of God. Now, there are three major views, and it all has to do with this idea of how long were the days. Were the days 24 hours or were they something more? 
Uh, so this will be a, a good chance for us to see a little bit about 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 exegesis and 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 how how to read read a text. Uh, some of the things that Brother Ken had been going over on Wednesday nights. So there are three views, and I want to kind of outline them for you. There are three views on this. So uh, we're talking about six days. And the first view is uh, what we're going to call the normal day view. I think that's probably everybody in here. The normal day view. Is it I before E? Alright, I think so. <laughs> the normal day view. That it's this normal 24 hour day. Uh, or, or something close to a 24 hour day. Uh, succeeded by another day, succeeded by another day. And, all the, and in that time period, in that short time frame, uh, a normal work week, God created all things. Uh, we, ought, we also might call this the natural reading, <laughs> uh, but for the, for the purpose of today, we're going to just say this is the normal day. It was a normal day. Now, uh, Jason Lyle, uh, which was uh, someone actually that Dad ended up having down here to uh, debate uh, in a uh, in a college classroom setting, he he brings up the fact that that's just the normal way we use day. Now we can use day in different ways, uh, like we could say back in my father's day, it used to take three days to walk to school. <laughs> uh, you could see two different uses of the word day there, even in our language. Uh, this the the day. Back in my father's day was a reference to something more than 24 hours, but it took three days. That was that was a normal understanding of the word day. And then we can even use day to talk about, well, it's day right now. It's not night. That's something less than 24 hours. That's just talking about the period of light. Uh, so uh, the, there are different ways that we can understand day. So that brings us into another, the second view of the six days, and that is the day age view once again i after i before e right <laughs> all right so the day age view so this is the belief that god's cre- that that the narrative gives a chronological history of the creative acts but the days are of indefinite duration most likely periods of many, many years. That's what this view is. And then there is a third view of the six day or of the six days of creation, and that's what we would call uh, the framework view. These are what I would call all views that would. Uh, well, let me tell you what the framework view is. The framework view is that the creation account describes God's creative acts topically. So when you're reading Genesis 1, you are reading a topical 
account of creation and not necessarily a chronological account of creation. So this, this, this view is that when we're reading Genesis 1, what we have here is a literary device being used to describe creation. So it's a literary device, uh, maybe something to aid in memory or something like that, um, uh, because, because after all, Genesis itself, at least the first 11 chapters, um, and the entire book really of itself was, was most likely oral traditions uh, of the family of Abraham that was later, later correlated by, uh, collected and edited by Moses. But, so, the framework is just that. So we have the normal day view, the day age view, or both the first two are chrono- believe that it's a chronological account of creation. The last one says, no, it's not chronological, it's a topical account of creation that uses literary devices to describe what had happened. Now, I would say that these three views are... Now, don't throw rocks at me, because, all right, I want to say that these three views are all within the realms of what we would call orthodox. And what do I mean? I, I mean, there are people that hold these views that preach the gospel and preach it soundly. And they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believe in salvation by grace through faith. And they believe that God is the creator of all things. And they believe in creation. And they are not, they are not holding to non-biblical ideas of creation. Now you and I would say, I can't believe anybody would think that, some, that, that it wasn't six literal days. Um, and we're going to get into why, why it makes sense to us. But we also want to try to understand some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but there are views which I believe are heretical, or at least borderline heretical. There is someone that I've read after many years. I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of stuff by reading his books, William Lane Craig. For, uh, he came out with a book just recently about the search for the real Adam, or it's, it's called something like that whereby he classified all 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, as mytho-history. Whereby he, said, whereby he says this is all just figurative analogical language and, it, and what you're reading is not really what happened. So it's a myth that tries to explain history. And it was... And, and he goes on to say that Adam was not the first hominid. He was just the first ensouled hominid. Uh, and, and so basically there was this process of evolution that happened and God at some point decided to ensoul one of the hominids. <laughs> and that became Adam. And then there was all this figurative language, mythological language of, of how Adam sinned. And it was supposed to give an account. I think, I think Dr. Craig, as much as I've gotten from reading some of his stuff, is already borderline heretical on this point. And he's denying the truth of the scriptures and the sufficiency of the scriptures to, tell, to speak on this matter. So th- there are some views outside of this. But looking just at, at brothers and sisters in Christ that hold these various views, 
I believe are orthodox. I believe they, the ones that, under, that, that want to honor the scriptures, uh, that, that, they, that they are orthodox. Um, now, I like in John Frame's study here that he says, I, I don't feel adequate enough to really speak about this issue because I'm not a scientist. I, 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 but exegetically, I think we, we can look at these different issues. And he gives several points. First of all, he says here, the question is not whether we should abandon the teaching of these chapters. You can hold any of these, view, any of these views and say, I am not abandoning, exegetically drawing what I believe from the text. If the, now, we could say, well, we believe these other two are wrong, but, we're gonna have, but, but we can't pretend like they don't have an exegetical uh, reason, reasoning and that they're not trying to honor the text. Um, the important thing is, is we are not simply just trying to say what we believed in order to accommodate secular science. And what do I mean by secular science? I mean science that is built upon anti-biblical worldviews, such as materialism and naturalism and things of that. And to say, well, since these naturalists over here are saying that this is the case, we have to make the Bible fit what they are saying. That's what uh, Ken was talking about with eisegesis, <laughs> uh, uh, reading into the text what we want the text to say. But there are people that are honoring the Scripture. So this is not a question of... So, so when we're looking at this, it's not simply a question of whether or not we're trying to accommodate. If someone is really honestly trying to approach the text, they can walk away with one of these views. Um, and we shouldn't deny that secular science, he says has influenced this discussion. Uh, so what's the big thing that we're trying, what's the big thing that science uniformly almost, I know we got Ken Ham and, 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 and their folks up there that, that have done some really great work, uh, Institution of Creation Research, uh, Henry Morris's group, but you, they're not, they're, there's not a whole lot of information on the other side that says uh, uniformly science is saying what? Billions of years. Um, I have here, and, if, and it's an excellent book by the way, uh, if anybody wants to do some heavy reading, you would be really good to read uh, Stephen Meyer, uh, Intelligent Design Advocate. Uh, and this is his latest book, Return of the God Hypothesis. Heavy reading, but very good. And you'll walk away with, walk away with a greater understanding of, of, uh, of why we believe in God. Uh, very good man. Very, uh, he's a Christian. Uh, he's not challenging billions of years, though. And even most what we call Christian science, not Christian science monitor and Mary Baker, Edie's uh, folk, but most of what we call Christian scientists... Uh, are not necessarily even anymore trying to challenge this idea. All right? So, yeah.
Hoven. He's got his own set of issues, I think. <laughs> Especially young earth creationism and things like that. And, and I think you're right. I, I think it can become, it can even become, I, uh, to a lot of these people, a distraction. Uh, because as much, whatever evidence uh, folks like Hoven, and I, we, we've really enjoyed his stuff throughout the years, uh, and even Morris and all those uh, arguing for young earth, the other side can, just, can, can also produce data and say, okay, starlight. Starlight. <laughs> uh, that's a long, long distance away <laughs> to these stars. And unless you're going to have a universe this tiny, uh, you're going to end up with uh, something more like this for the age of the universe. And it becomes, I mean, so data, you can look at data a lot of different ways, and you're not going to prove anything in, infinitely. Correct. Yeah, that becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. 
Well, in in all, also more more to the more to what you're talking about is uh, this this idea that we can we can interpret things wrong. It's always possible that we've interpreted something. There there are people, there and not as many as secular historians want to say, but there were people that once upon a time uh, that were convinced that geocentricity, you all know what geocentricity is, right? The earth, the earth being the center of the universe, <laughs> all right? That geocentricity was the way to interpret scriptures, at least cosmologically. We're, and then along comes scientists, uh, the Copernican revolution in science, Along comes Galileo, and they start showing scientific evidence that says, no, this is a heliocentric model. Ultimately, it wasn't even a heliocentric model <laughs> uh, because because uh, the model expands and there is no center. But the question is, is when confronted with real scientific evidence, can we admit sometimes that we might be interpreting the scriptures wrongly. That this wooden way of looking at the thing, at, at this particular issue, we may have been reading it wrong, or, or it, it may not be a saying what we have been trying to say it says for, for all this time. Well, I'll, I, I love what John Frame says right here. He says, It is also possible that our interpretation of Scripture is wrong, though it is not possible for Scripture itself to be wrong. And that's the difference between these two opinions. It's possible that I've read Scripture wrong, but it's not possible that when I approach this book, and if it's read correctly, that this book is giving us truth. Or what Francis Schaeffer calls true truth. Uh, not exhaustive truth, because we're not told everything about creation in this book. But we are told truly about creation in this book. And uh, it's not po- I love how he said that, and it fit in exactly with what you were saying. It's not possible for the scriptures to be wrong, but it is possible for me to be wrong. <laughs> and it's possible for you to be wrong. Uh, I interrupted you, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 
and I think related to the day issue, um, we can, in a way, we, we have to we have to be open to listening to what evidence really is. Uh, we cannot take this anti-intellectual stand, and I'm not going to write that down. I don't know why I have to feel like writing things down. It just makes me feel like I'm doing something, I guess. But this idea that, well, well, that's just what I believe, and I, I mean, there's no evidence. We have to be willing to re-examine what, what, what we believe based upon... Uh, Based upon the evidence, like for instance, if we believe if we believe back in the Middle Ages that uh, sickness was caused because of demons, and someone would show us a virus under a microscope, and we're going to say, "Well, I ain't going to believe it. <laughs> I'm not going to believe this is a, I don't, I'm not going to believe in viruses or something like that because this is this is all trickery, and we we can't really take this anti-intellectual. We got to be willing to, but we cannot be willing to compromise what the text says. Because if at the end, what science is telling us, and this may be a whole separate issue in itself, the billions of years, but if, what, if in the end what science is telling us is contrary to what the scriptures specifically declare, then that's when we can take our stand. And he, he goes on to really to say that there is an apologetic mandate that we are bringing every thought in the captivity to Christ. Um, and Christ, Christ speaks authoritatively through his word without error, but Christ also speaks uh, in a coherent and, and, and true way through the observation of the world around us that people, are that can people truly make. And those things won't contradict. And if they seem to contradict, we, we at least should entertain, okay, have I read this wrong? And that's, that's part of the issue. Uh, it, it's, it's right for our exegesis to be influenced by science, but not to be controlled by it, but to rather to be controlled by the text. Uh, there are also, he says, wrong ways to be influenced by science. Uh, for instance... If I'm influenced by science, and the science is, is science that is based upon an ungodly view of the world, okay, there are ungodly views of the world, unbiblical views of the cause of the world, like we talked about this one a lot, materialism. Materialism is anti-Christian thought. It says the only thing that exists is the material world. Naturalism says everything is governed by natural law, not God. That's a contradiction of Scripture. And if they are basing what they believe because they say there can be no other answer than a natural answer to this question, and that's the whole basis of why they are saying this is scientific, then, and we accommodate try to make the scriptures accommodate that that is the wrong way to be influenced by science so we we do have to get a little bit deeper in understanding why what if they believe about the entirety of creation that we have to believe this because if we don't believe this then it'll let the divine foot in the door and we'll have to believe in god well that's a wrong reason to believe in that theory 
whatever theory that happens to be. So I, I want to go back and talk about this, this uh, framework theory a little bit. So, so there are good brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that hold to this framework theory, and we don't really talk. We, we probably talk about the day-age thing, and we, we, wanna, we, we, we know that a little bit better. But there are some people that will approach uh, Genesis 1 specifically and say this is, this is a liter- these are literary devices that are being used. And why is it that they're saying that? Well, they're saying that if you're looking at it because day one corresponds with day four. Day two corresponds with day five. Day three corresponds with day six. And it seems to be a, a, a literary structure when you're, when you're approaching that chapter. What do I mean by day one as related to day four? Well, because in the be- then he created light and darkness. All right? And then in day four, he created lights in the heaven. Uh, day two, he separated the land from the sea. Day five, he created, uh, he, he crea- he, uh, and he created the firmament also to day two. And in day five, what does he do? He creates things to fill the sea, things to fill the air, <laughs> fowls of the heaven. Uh, day day three, what does he do? He creates thing. Uh, he creates vegetation and things like that on the earth. Day six, what does he do? He creates the, uh, land animals and man. And they say, well, th- there is a definite structure that you have when you're applying this, and that is a the, and that is hard to deny that there is a literary structure to Genesis chapter one, but that does not exclude that there is a chronological structure. Uh, that does not exclude the fact that he spends three days, de- the first three, it, you could also look at that and say, well, he spends the first three days creating the context for things to exist, and then the last three days filling, filling that context with things that would exist in those contexts. So, uh, so it doesn't preclude one, but we have many brothers and sisters in Christ that will look at those things and say, Hey, there's a literary structure to this, and 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 then they will conclude. I'm not, sh-, and they will walk away and say, I'm not sure that there was just talking necessarily about literal 24-hour days. I think it may just it may be a literary structure to describe the creation. Uh, so we we we, we uh, so the literary device and the historical narrative sometimes renders the narrative incomplete. They will say, and the literary literary intentions of the gospel writers do sometimes lead them to present events out of chronological order. For instance, uh, there are some of our gospels that give us the life of Christ outside of chronological order. Um, uh, Matthew, for instance, seems to be structured there is some chronology in Matthew, but it seems to be structured more topically about this, this, and this. And therefore, you're not seeing the same order that you see in Mark when they're telling the same stories. They don't seem to flow because one has a much more rigid chronolo- chronology and the other approaches things much more topically. And so, so some say, well, we believe that that may have been the same thing 
that we're not getting a complete picture, but we're getting a literary description of how God completed his work. So the broad literary uh, structure of Genesis 1 and 2 proposed by the framework theory is is not compatible with a chronological sequence um, in and of itself. And we do have brothers and sisters in Christ that will approach that in that way. So uh, I feel like I've skipped something or missed something. Uh, Framework theorists also urged consideration against chronology by comparing Genesis 2 with Genesis 1. Now, we, will, we see more creative acts happening in Genesis 2. Uh, for instance, it's, uh, let's read chapter 4, or not chapter 4, but Genesis 2, verse 4. And we, we want to understand that our brothers and sisters in Christ can come to some conclusions uh, about this that are not necessarily always coincide with what we think. Uh, verse 4, These are the generations of heaven's earth when they were created in the day the Lord create, made hev- the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. For there, But there went up a mist, from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know, they will look, so we're seeing a recapitulation, a recapitulated description of creation. And the framework view argues that the watering of the earth refers to in day three of creation when Genesis 1 says, God made plants. If the third day were a normal day, they say, there would not have been time for the plants to grow up in response to the natural processes of watering. So they, they start looking at these things a little bit differently. You and me would, uh, would, um, would read these a little bit differently when we're looking at the normal day view. Uh, so I'm not going to get into trying to, def- trying to describe the framework view. Just, just see that when you approach this, some people can approach it very differently. But none of this implies that the creation week included natural processes that would take many years. Uh, so so um, we have to be cre- careful. Uh, when we're reading, when, when we're trying to read into, reading into the text either way. So um, I'm going to skip some of his uh, information. What time is it? We've got to watch the time. Oh, my, it's time to quit. Let me at least finish my my points here. Uh, So so while I'm not persuaded by the framework view arguments, I do see that they have some merits, and we should really kind of be gracious to those that do hold them. So there are reasons, though, that you and I, I should stop assuming that you all agree with me. (laughs) All right? Maybe you all don't. I don't know. Uh, maybe you all got a day-age theory running around in your head for the six days of creation. But um, there are reasons that we take the days as normal. What are some of the reasons? Uh, well, the day... What? Sure. 
I mean, Well, I, I do think there, I mean, it's just the accommodation, it's being influenced by the science of our day uh, more than anything. Uh, I, 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 Observe and measure and put in a test tube and can you turn the heat down, Phil? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's why that's why I say even if you're looking at these views, you're never going to come up with the same thing that uh, that quote unquote science is saying today. You're not going to come up with this outrageous amount of time, and I think uh, I think Brayman his notes here will get to that uh, eventually. You're you're, uh, even the day age theory, you're not gonna you're not gonna come up with billions of years. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just not even not even possible. But there is this. There, there, I think it's I think a lot of it's a reaction, and we can't pretend like we're not ourselves influenced by by what our what our culture says uh, it, to be true does affect the way we read our scriptures. Uh, we we never we never read. We never read things in a vacuum, and that's that's why, like books like, like uh, Stephen Meyer here. I mean, he's there are certain things he's not going to try to refute. He's not going to try to refute uh, a view that says the universe is 13.8 billion years old. What he is going to try to refute is the idea that any of this could exist without God. Uh, and I think he's a great brother in Christ uh, for it. So I, I don't think I think all of us are going to be influenced by the cultural melee. I guess is the word of the day. Um, the the uh, established wisdom of the day is really and so and there's a desire to 
for some to run contrary to it. There's a desire for others to run directly into it or, or, uh, or run with it. Uh, but, but we're all influenced by it. And what, what I think Frame was saying is, is there are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ that will re- reach the first chapter of Genesis and will say, okay, this is all the things that are being said. I just want to know what the text says or what it's possible the text could mean. Um, and I, 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 I think we can accommodate that to a certain, a certain point. And do we, have, do we have time to talk about literal 24-hour days real quick? Um, no, it's not. All right, just, 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 <laughs> just real quick. Uh, the word day does not always refer to 24-hour period. That's, that's true. We talked about that before. In my father's day, uh, it took three days to drive across Texas. Uh, that's a Jason Lyle's uh, uh, take on it. You have two different uses of the word day. Uh, but almost always when it's in the scriptures, when it's accompanied by specific numerals, first, second, third, um, it's almost always talking about uh, literal, what we would call a normal day. Uh, what uh, Brother Ken talked about, evening and morning, is how each day was described. That gives the idea of, of talking about a specific 24-hour period or something like that. The Sabbath commands that you and I read at the beginning, we're told to work six days and on the seventh day to rest, to, to imitate God's created activity. If you take away the idea of normal days, it's not really clear. Uh, Frame says what we're to imitate. And also the word day as it is used in the scriptures, especially Exodus 20 verse 11, when it's pluralized like that, it's hardly ever figurative. Uh, you're not going to use, a, uh, use the plural form of days in the scriptures to speak, uh, normally to speak of a figurative idea. You're going to talk more of a normal idea. So there is reasons why we approach the idea of day the way, the way we do. Um, and he, he just kind of gets into the rest of his notes. I think that there, I think we're going to have to pick this up next week because um, I, I think we can get into the arguments that are not necessarily exegetical, um, but more, but more kind of heartfelt. Like I, I sometimes think that people will over argue their points. Like, I've heard Kent Hovind many times, well, if you say that it's more than a 24-hour day and, and, the, the, and that what we're having described here is years, you're positing some form of death prior to the actual. I want to kind of take a second and kind of unpack that a little bit because I think it can, I think it can be ungracious uh, sometimes, the implication, because there are people, good brothers and sisters in Christ, that hold these views that still hold the same view of you and I hold on the atonement and upon Christ and upon creation in general. The fact that all things were made by God by direct act, and that's what the scriptures teach. Uh, so I think there's room for graciousness, and I want to kind of talk next week about some of, the, some of our over-arguments. Uh, and then I want to specifically deal with this idea of the age of the earth just for a little bit. And then specifically deal with evolutionary theory specifically, and and why why we reject it, and uh, that's about it. Any questions, complaints, grievances? Yes, sir. 
And that's all that counts, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. But it's all about it's all about what God has really said, and that's that's what we have. That's what we've committed ourselves to believe is this is what God said, and this is what we believe is what God says. Even in the morning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Amen. I remember. I remember that, and you were singing about Zacchaeus. <laughs> Praise the Lord for it. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, stop there. Hopefully, that was edifying to you. Uh, we we can go forth with charity, one towards another. Uh, there are some, and uh, but we do need to challenge. We do need to say the scriptures cannot be broken. <laughs> the scriptures cannot be wrong, even if I may be reading them wrong. All right, we got about ten minutes.